Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Power Reclamation Show, where we explore the mysteries, heartbreaks, and resiliency of the human experience. Together, we'll focus on rewilding ourselves through raising consciousness and dismantling domestication. This is a collective journey of challenging hierarchical systems of power over, as well as our own personal conditioning and limiting belief systems. This show is about embodying the power of love, presence, and our own inner authority. Today's guest is named Haladia. Haladia is a beloved friend of mine who has been on a journey of helping others reclaim the truth of who they are, to find clarity in the darkness, to seek openings in places that feel so confined and limited within themselves. Haladia grew up in an environment where she found herself as a young adult confined in boxes of ideas of who she should be. And on today's show, she talks about breaking through the good girl complex and becoming a rebel of her own true heart. And Haladia has learned over time how to trust life and how to believe in the generosity of the human spirit which has been a profound experience for me to witness her over the last couple of decades uh, living and breathing this message into the world. So she started her life in education uh, in elementary school and moved her way through the discovery of massage and body work and became a massage therapist and a teacher at the massage school and workshops and mentorship. And along the way, She has become an ally for those who are also trying to break out of boxes, which was definitely the case for me when I left my corporate job in Chicago in 2003 and moved to Colorado and met Haladia. So she offers one-on-one work with people uh, over the years, basically having them come to her massage table. And she guides people into the intelligence and the wisdom of their own body and their mind and their hearts and accessing places where beliefs and energies are stuck and helps people find clarity. So the offering that she's also bringing into the world now is she has something called Boulder Guided Retreats. And people can fly to Colorado and come and live with her in her mountain home for a retreat period where she helps form with the client the intention and what someone is seeking clarity around where someone is wanting to have insight, open, look closer. And she designs uh, an experience where they are taken care of and fed and given body work and given space to really talk about things that sometimes life just doesn't give us the time to slow down and talk about and explore. So you can learn more about Haladia's retreats in the show notes. It's boulderguidedretreats.com. And there's also links to her Facebook and Instagram. So without further introduction, here is Haladia. I feel so excited to be doing this with you today. It's, um, I've been thinking a lot of, of why I wanted you to have a conversation together and what our history is and why I am so moved by who you are in the world. And I think I just want to start with a context about us before we get into our topic today. Go for and, it. Yeah. So 20, almost 20 years ago, 
I left the corporate world in Chicago and I came to Boulder and I was totally lost. And someone from my leadership class, Jeff, gave me your number and said, you need to go see this woman for body work. I was like, body work? Okay. And little did I know that you literally were going to open up this whole new world for me. I, I had no idea how many little, tight, confined boxes I was living in. I had no idea how much of my own inner authority I had given away to everything around me. The striving to achieve, the ideas of who I'm supposed to be, the fears that I'm not good enough, and how much that was running my entire life, which is probably why I hit burnout. And so... It It was was coming coming. to you and being on your table over and over again and you challenging me like in the most loving but fiercely direct way that felt like it started to crack this armor in me. And I started to feel that there was no one in the world besides you that actually got what was going on. I mean, I felt like you became a lifeline between who I had been and who I was trying to become, but I, I didn't have the confidence to actually step out of the box without you holding my hand. And so honestly, when I look back at the arc of my journey, I feel that you've been one of the most essential components that has carried me to where I am today. And yeah, you move me in such a deep way. The way that you live your life has radically shifted the way that I see the world and myself. And so I wanted to have you on the show because I want other people to know about you. And I want to hear more from you about how it is that you have developed the capacity to be so incredibly patient and to trust life like no other mystic I've read about or known. There's a way that you you have an unwavering trust that all things will be provided for. And, and I... I have never, I've never seen this in real time. I've read about it, I guess, with mystics, but I've never seen it real time. So I thought huh. maybe, yeah, what's coming up for you? Huh. <laughs> yeah, anything, anything yeah. rising before I ask you a question that you want to say? Um, I love your viewfinder. Mm. It's, mm. it's really lovely to have... Um, that tenderness and that appreciation reflected back. It's not that I don't. It's um, it's that it's in a sense really actually hard to absorb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's very touching. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for naming that because it feels to me like, and we've had these conversations before about how it, what it takes to really receive the fullest reflection of who we are and how that can hit these spots inside where it's like, okay, I know I can only take in so much and I'm full. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I know in my head, the work that I've done in the world and yet it doesn't get talked about very often and, um, or I don't talk about it very often. It just isn't is. So, (laughs) to actually be able to talk about it and to share it with the world in this kind of a format feels really both challenging and exciting. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe we yeah. actually start there because your work in the world is so unspoken about in many ways. And yet maybe you could just put a little color on that right now about like, what is it that you perceive you're doing in the world? Well, I think you said it really well in one sense in that I hold a lot of hands. Yeah. Um, I make it safe enough for people to actually leap off the edge of the world that they know, mm-hmm. because I do believe that they will be caught, that there is a net, that the universe is ready for them to leap. And it's just a matter of finding that courage to leave so many things behind. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, I started doing that quite early in my life. And it turned out really well for me. (laughs) So so it's easy for me, not easy, but it's, it's a matter of course for me to actually be able to support that mm-hmm. in other people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. When you look back at your life, what, what do you feel like has given you that capacity to trust so deeply? That is a really good question. And, and it's a little hard to know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because I came from a fairly rigid, conservative, lower middle class, white family in the Midwest. And there weren't a lot of extras. I had four siblings and um, a lot was expected of us as kids. We had chores, we had, you know. Anyway, um, and it wasn't a particularly soft, loving, nurturing environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, it isn't that they didn't love me. They did. They loved us all, but their ways of showing it were fairly limited. Mm -hmm. And so early in life, I actually looked to the bigger world. And there was a wonderful woman who lived next door to us when I was in like second grade to sixth grade or eighth grade, Mrs. Warbritton. And she lived all by herself and she had cats and I got to water her plants and feed her cats when she would go on trips. And she was just for me an example of another whole way to do it. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. And I could walk into her house and energetically feel, even as a kid, the difference. Um, Because it was peaceful there. Uh. My household was tense and a little bit chaotic and rigid. Hers mm-hmm. was not, it was soft. Oh, so that's when you first got a taste of that. Like- well, it's one of the really big influences that I know happened mm-hmm. and that I really gravitated to. Yeah. And then when I was 11, I had the great, great good fortune to meet a woman named Helen, who it's going to make me cry. Mm-hmm. Um, She ran a children's bookstore, and she was an incredibly well-educated, I think she had her master's degree in literature, and um, books were her world. Mm. She had two sons and no daughters, so Mm. I became, she adopted me, Mm -hmm. and I went to work in her bookstore from the time I was 11 or 12 until I graduated from college. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
and she handpicked what I read. She taught me how to run a business. She had me help cater her um, afternoon soirees with books and literature for women in the community. Mm. Um, she introduced me to the headmaster of the first school that I taught in. She was really wow. very influential. She taught me how to drink scotch way <laughs> before I should have. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and so she was a really leveling, expansive mm -hmm. um, influence on my life. Mm. It's she incredible. Taught, Go ahead. Yeah, she taught me how to wrap pre presents. Presents were important to her. And um. in her gift shop, in her bookshop, we wrapped wrapped gifts for birthdays and Christmas. Mm -hmm. And and I learned how to do that with a flair. And I loved Ooh. it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like she both opened you artistically and your imagination. And God, it seems like it was almost like it reminds me of um, Wizard of Oz when like the, becomes this technicolor world, like a whole other reality that you stepped into. It was, yes. And... Yeah. She mentored me for enough years so that by the time I graduated from college, I really didn't need reparenting, mm -hmm. even though I'd had many um, missing pieces in my mm -hmm. own biological family. Mm -hmm. She filled in many of those gaps mm -hmm. and it just gave me the blueprint for, oh, this is what generosity looks like in the world because uh... yes, she paid me a salary, but. No, she took me under her wing. Right. And she made sure I survived in a really whole way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she wasn't just tending to Maslow's security of like financial. She was actually tending to your emotional, psychological development. She really was. And the yeah. books she chose for me to read were often just so spot on that it was like, oh my goodness, she can read my mind. Wow. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so you're actually touching on a, a key point that I wanted to touch on today, which is this whole notion of reparenting. I mean, because that's essentially what I felt like you helped me with. And what I mean by the reparenting is, I think this is universal, and we've talked about this before, where just as a human being, we are naturally going to have missing experiences early in life. And then we're going to create all these adaptations of how mm -hmm. to manage the missing experiences. And they become personality traits and all sorts of things. But I think there's something really powerful about I couldn't, I didn't find you until I was in my early 30s. And I needed reparenting in a way that I kept trying to do on my own. And I kept trying to do a therapist. But without the help of you and you connecting with my body, I really couldn't get access to integrating those missing experiences and feeling that I could find ground inside of myself. And I wonder if you can speak a little bit, because it sounds like Helen did that for you. And then you started doing that for other people. So maybe you could talk a little yeah, bit about that. She did that for me. Um, experientially mm -hmm. and intellectually, she did not necessarily do that for me um, in terms of my body experience that happened much later in my life. Okay. Um, and I think it's extremely important that we have examples of what we want it to look like. She mm -hmm. gave me and Warburton gave me 
other examples of how to be a woman in the world mm-hmm. that was way outside the experience in my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if that answered your question about reparenting, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you refine that? <laughs> oh yeah. No, I feel like you're just adding some layers to it because I think, um, there's so, I think what, what I'm really getting on the conversation right now is just how it does take a tribe to actually become an integrated human. We're not going to necessarily get it in our family system. So right. what are the ways that we can actually, or does that get created for us along the way? Yes. And I think that's a really important piece because most people don't reach for reparenting. Right. And if you don't reach for it, if you don't know you need it, it ends up just becoming a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what, how would you define reparenting? Like, what do you think the gestalt of that actually is? For me, it's pretty simple. It's coming into relationship with a love that you actually can understand and metabolize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that all the critical voices that came with the original parenting mm-hmm. or those mixed, missed experiences completely, um, find a way to rise again. Mm-hmm. Um and a context in which they can rise again. So when we worked together in those early years, we had boundaries, but we crossed many of those boundaries because you needed to mm-hmm. in order to have those experiences arise. Mm-hmm. And I was willing to because I know what it looked like right. to need that. Yeah. And maybe we could put some color on that of like what, what was a cross boundary and our work together that my system really needed. Do you recall? Um, well, it wasn't necessarily in the real early days, mm-hmm. but when you actually stayed at my house. Yeah. And we lived together for a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a way of coming into a context that wasn't client practitioner. Mm-hmm. It was more human to human. And we had to, we got the chance to actually love one another in that context. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's something more gritty about that kind that you couldn't stay in your practitioner role. You were right. actually, you needed to be human. Not that you're not a human in your practitioner role, but there's a, there's a certain level of boundary to your mm-hmm. point. Another one is when Cherokee died. Oh Yeah. So Cherokee was my dog for 13 years and you were there when she passed. Yeah. My love. And I made it a point to come over that boundary to be with you because it was like losing your child. It was. And that's, that needed some parenting mm-hmm. to hold it. Mm-hmm. And you right. didn't have it anywhere else. No. So. Yeah. Yeah. God. It's amazing because, you know, talk about healing trauma, your willingness to step in in that way is really what allowed me to heal my brother's mm-hmm. death, to have someone actually there that wasn't there for me when I was a child. Right. And so those moments where we can step into one another's lives in such a vulnerable space to mm-hmm. help have 
not feel so alone. I guess that's really what the reparenting feels like to me is those spots where I go against myself or I, I have disapproval towards parts of myself and somebody else doesn't and they right. actually can make room for it and yeah. not only make room, get curious about those parts of me. Had I not had that imprint from you, I wouldn't have been able to start doing that for myself or do that for other people today. It's sort of like a paying it forward mm-hmm. power. Mm-hmm. And curiosity is actually an essential component of life, I think, and of that reparenting process, because there's so much we just don't understand mm-hmm. about some, how someone else perceives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know, I think as practitioners, that's probably one of the most powerful places to move from is getting out of our perception of what the other person's reality is because we really can't know even even though we might have ideas I know that's always been an edge Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah okay well so then coming back to your journey and um you know there's something about I want to go back to keeping keeping oneself in these boxes like that's the language Uh I use about it you know I might call it feeling domesticated by culture's ideas of who we should be, but boxes look of all all kinds. So I wonder if you could speak to your journey around experiencing your own boxes and how you have liberated yourself from them. Well, I grew up with a pretty clear set of boxes. Mm -hmm. I was intended to live in a little house not very far from my parents with a white picket fence and raise 2.5 children and yeah not not have a very big experience of life Mm -hmm. and pretty early I knew that wasn't gonna work for me and then um early I went to college in a really my first experience at college was a very restrictive small Christian school that my older brother had gone to why I decided that was a good idea. I have no idea right now, except (laughs) that it allowed me to work for Helen. Um, Excuse me. My nose is dripping. Um, Anyway, I, by Christmas, I started in August or September by Christmas, I was asked to leave because my grade point average and my social, um, interaction in the world was not to their liking. And it was the first time I had really actually bucked authority. Um, Yeah. Tell me why. Because I was a good girl. I was a really good girl. I was um, a straight A student practically in high school. I almost flunked algebra because it didn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. I took it over, got a tutor, and ended up dating the tutor. And But anyway, <laughs> oh, don't stop I, was, I was a really good girl, and I tried to do everything really perfectly. Yes. I had a real attachment to perfection. Okay. So going to this school and going, oh, I don't even care what you think. What you think makes no sense to me. Huh. And I am not actually living in your rules. And it was the first time that that rose loudly enough for me to go, huh, okay, these rules don't apply to me. And so I didn't go to classes if I didn't want to. 
<laughs> I dated a black basketball player because I wanted to. Uh-huh. And I worked off campus because I could. I had a car and I befriended one of the first gay guys I ever knew who was getting unbelievable amounts of grief in his dorm. Um. And he would hide in my dorm room while I went to work. And then we'd go out for snacks. And then, and it was like, oh, these things are not done. Well, I wanted to do them. Yeah. Yeah. So this is radical because... I grew up a good girl too, and it took me a long time and I'm still work on my perfection thing. How did you make that shift? Like what, what made that voice rise and how did you hear it and have the courage to act on it? I think it was a combination of things. And one was that in my family of origin, thank God, and with Helen's help, I was taught to think for myself. Okay. And this was a very small, very conservative very rule-driven environment. Mm -hmm. And the Christian overlay was not the same one that I'd been raised in. I was raised a Presbyterian. Mm -hmm. This was Church of Christ, of all bizarre things for me. And um, I would go to chapel in the morning, which was a requirement right after breakfast, before classes. And the things they were saying were like, I don't believe that. <laughs> And just that lack of ability to swallow it. Yeah. I could not drink their Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. And that gave rise to the, oh, there might be a lot of Kool-Aid. What other Kool-Aid am I drinking? Wow. And then also the freedom of leaving the confines of my biological family and getting out with a car, with the freedom, with mm -hmm. a, I had a Pakistani roommate my first year who had never been in America before. And it was like, Oh, wow. my job is to educate her. And so we had fun. Uh huh. And that became why I was at college was to okay. have a lot of fun. Oh, wow. So, so different than what was maybe prescribed or thought would happen when you went to yeah. school. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't care about getting straight A's there. Mm -hmm. Their authority somehow it, it didn't matter to me. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I did actually want to be educated. So when they threw me out, um, a whole series of things happened. But my parents basically pulled their financial support of me. Uh, and so if I was going to get educated, I had to figure out another way. And, okay. And I did because I wanted it. And so I went to the Rotary Club in my small town and asked for a scholarship and they paid my tuition. And I got another job besides my job at the bookstore to be able to afford to have an apartment. And I left my parents in the dust as it were uh -huh. and struck out on my own. And so it was just about backbone at that point. It's like, mm -hmm. I was determined. Mm -hmm. And the response, I think, of my biological family to me not playing by the rules was shame and blame and guilt tripping. And and I was just like, no, not, not having that. Wow. So that's actually 
probably part of Helen's influence because it feels like somehow you were able to crack through and not keep collapsing into that, those expectations. Something Mm -hmm. rose in you. Right. Because I actually had a blueprint for another way. Right. Yeah. Helen was educated. She ran her own business. She was influential in her community. It's like, I I want that for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet I still did it in the context of growing up to become a school teacher. That's Ah, what my parents expected. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just, I just held that. It's really strange to look at that now. Yeah, so you held that meaning you followed that path, but you just did it your way. Right. You became a school teacher. I did. I mm-hmm. went to, yeah, I got my degree in education. And yeah. 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 So it's interesting to hear this part of your story, because I know some, but I didn't realize how quickly you flipped, you know, how quickly you were able to go from compliant good girl to basically rebel inner authority doing this my way even Mm -hmm. with shame, because I feel like often, at least in my journey, shame and guilt trips have gotten so rooted in my psyche that it doesn't even matter what anyone's saying anymore. I'm so, I have it grilled in that if I draw the lines, I'm going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So it takes me to kind of the next piece that I'm curious about with you, which is, and there's so much more color I'd love to put on your journey, but I want to jump forward and maybe we'll come back. But now you're doing this incredible thing in the world where you're actually inviting people to come on retreat with you. And they're coming, it seems like a lot of them, to your point, you said, you know, they're not even sure, they just know they're called. Some people are coming because they are trying to like break out of the boxes. And I wonder if you can speak to, because of this early learning, how you're doing that, what you're how you're helping other people do what you were able to do at that young age by like breaking through the barriers of being the good girl and actually finding your own voice. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, my capacity to listen to the stories Ah. and let people actually find the little pieces where they're held, Mm -hmm. where the edges of the boxes aren't actually any longer working for them Mm -hmm. and what they're pushing up against. Mm -hmm. And as the story unfolds, they can see what the pushing feels like. And I just actually don't give them any resistance. I I actually help push down that the wall. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, what if, and we'll be doing a Zentangle or working on a collage or I'll be sitting on the couch rubbing their feet and then this whole other way of being able to um, see the dilemma actually rises in the field mm-hmm. yeah. and and then we just push against it a little bit and and it actually looks easy then. Mm. Yeah. So I've had that experience with you where you just give me a lot of space to talk about what's going on. And, and what I know that notice that you do is you'll needle in on something that I have so much identification with that. I can't actually see how much, how much I'm trying to hold on to that idealization or perception of myself or the world. 
and you kind of slip in some pointed questions has been my experience or you challenge me directly. Right. And, but because it's in the spaciousness of your curiosity, I feel like something does start to melt and I just immediately am able to see what's going on with more Mm -hmm. clarity. Mm -hmm. And so that feels, so maybe the next layer you could share is, is just when someone comes to you, what is, what, what does it bring alive in you and how, how do these journeys unfold? Hmm. That's a big question. Yeah. For me, this feels like it has grown organically out of many, many years of tending to and caring for um, people that I've come to love. Mm-hmm. And it happens really frequently in my practice that um, I get to see into such an essential part of a human being that there is really no other response besides love. Mm-hmm. It really just, you know, I, I'm really tender in that way. And so my tenderness gets ignited and, and so I've, gathered over the years this whole big basket full of skillfulness in terms of tending both to myself but to other people other people's Mm -hmm. needs other people's wants other people's fantasies um i love doing things that people need i love to cook i actually love to housekeep Mm -hmm. i love to garden i love to read and those are things that if you can feed people wonderful food, if you can rub their toes and then read them a story, they're in heaven. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take much more than that. Mm -hmm. And I actually love doing those things. So it's, for me, it's just the extension of, well, rather than seeing someone for an hour, an hour and a half on my table, let's take the table out of it for the moment use my living room or my dining table and have something else actually happen. Mm -hmm. And it's a much more in-depth, much more comprehensive um, working with where are the places that you are feeling confined? Mm -hmm. Where do you want freedom? And Mm -hmm. for me, that's what it's really all about. It's like, how do I get free to be who I am? Yeah. Yeah. So there's something almost like coming in the back door because traditional therapy is so straightforward and you're kind of drilling into something, talk therapy. Right. And you're creating a space where people are putting their attention in other places, but still you're tracking things and prodding in areas to help things get revealed, whether that's, yeah. Yeah. And they usually end up talking a great deal and sharing their stories so that Mm -hmm. I understand yeah. And so that they understand that I understand. Right. Which is actually a key component. Yeah. Because if they feel understood, something automatically begins to heal. Right. I feel like that is actually the key to healing trauma or anything else is what you're saying. Right. It's like there's got to be safety and relaxation for the system to open. And because right. of the container that you're creating, there's a sense that it can come in different ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And unlike therapy, 
it's not that I don't have boundaries. I have boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but opening my home, in a sense, gives the other person the experience of I have nothing to hide because all of my humanity is certainly on clear display. Yeah. It's my house. You are going to see my allergies. You're going to see my eating habits. You're going to see how I decorate. You're going to see it all. And you'll either align with it and appreciate it, or you'll have a reaction. Mm -hmm. And then do you work with those reactions? If they Sometimes we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, if comfort isn't automatic, then comfort has to be established. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that's what's so revolutionary about this kind of work you're doing is that until someone models to us what it looks like to be in a therapeutic role, but also a messy human or just a a vulnerable, open, this is how I roll kind of person, Mm -hmm. there's a quality of safety that is harder to access. I mean, that just accelerates things, I think is my point. Right, right. And so these containers do that. Go ahead, do you want to say something? Yeah, I just was going to share this little story about I had a man come once for a fairly short um, retreat, a day, day and a half. And I have pictures of owls on my kitchen wall. Mm -hmm. He's scared scared to death of them. And he came around the corner of my front door and basically froze it's like oh can we take that down Uh it's like no no we can't (laughs) actually but and then so we had to spend the next hour talking about why owls are so scary to him yeah and i had to get really curious about no my boundary is the the owls live on my wall if you don't want to be in a place where you can see them i can accommodate that Mm -hmm. but Really, what are you so afraid of? And did that open up a door for him to touch some deeper parts? I think it did. Yeah. Yeah, Because it took us right to his childhood, of course. Oh, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's sort of where I'm curious about. I was glad you brought up a story because I wonder if if you could share a little bit about what, like, what are people come for and what do you find are their themes and what do you find that people are receiving by doing these retreats? Yeah, I, that's really actually a hard question for me to answer. What are they receiving? Yeah. Um, and what they're coming for is some level of clarity about where their next steps are. Mm. So almost all of us are on a path or a journey of some kind. Not always really clear to us, but we're moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a stationary experience life. So they've come to a place where there's either a crossroads or distinctly a left or right turn, and they don't want to make it. They don't want to choose. <laughs> and that precipice of choosing often it gives them a pause. So... Mm-hmm they come to me in that pause and we just explore, well, what happens if you go left? What happens if you go right? What happens if you don't choose at all? Mm -hmm. And then other really big experiences in life sometimes bring people. I had a woman who retired um, from a corporate job and basically was, okay, I'm going to retire, but 
what am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. There's all this space and I, I actually don't know what I want. Mm-hmm. And so we sat for two and a half or three days with, okay, so what do you want? What could it look like? Mm-hmm. And she has built the most incredible life. She's a jeweler mm-hmm. and has learned all about metals and metal smithing and, she does incredible beadwork. She's just like taken off and she's gone all over the world oh, to yes. um, pursue her art and form relationships with other artists. It's really been incredible. She's become oh, an artist. That is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't actually think that would have happened had she not taken that pause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it wouldn't have happened as smoothly or as easily as it happened. She just actually flew right out of the nest. Incredible. I had another woman who came. um, She was moving. Her best friend had committed suicide and she really wanted to change her job, but it was too much change all at once Mm -hmm. and no way forward without actually, she was the executor of her best friend's estate and she had to go to California and deal with that. And nothing in her wanted to do that. And so she came to me and one of my clients actually sent her to me and we step by step by step broke it down into, okay, how do you deal with this? And then how do you deal with that? And then how do you move forward from those realities? Mm, So she ended up going, but you helped her like move through some of the resistance. Yes. And plot a plan. Yeah. And we actually had to delve into the grief because the grief is what kept her in resistance. It's like, no, I don't want to go look at those things. I don't want to feel what I have to feel. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I can. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's how to get through those moments of collapse where we would want to collapse. No, we really can't collapse because life will fall apart, but we don't have the resources to actually move forward. Yeah, And so this period of time gives you a pause so that you can find a resource within yourself Mm -hmm. to actually go, oh, if I do it this way, I can probably do it. Mm -hmm. That feels like the golden gem that we don't talk enough in our culture about. I mean, mindfulness is coming much more online. So we talk more about pausing, but maybe you could say a little bit more about why you perceive it's hard for people to pause and then what you see the value of this kind of pause for people. Uh huh. Well, that's something I feel like life has really gifted me <laughs> because I've, I've had a series of breaking out of boxes mm-hmm. and each time you break out of a box, if you don't pause, it's messy. It's really messy. And you only need one or two of those really messy times to go, ooh, there's got to be a better way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so my first breaking out of the box in my early 20s when I was in college, it was very messy. Mm -hmm. And so when I needed to do it again, when I graduated from college, I spent one year teaching school. And then the next year, I moved to Europe. And that was a huge breaking out of the box. Uh And um, 
I did it much smoother. It's not that it was really clean, but uh, much smoother. And it was because I stopped. And I took that summer to travel by myself. I backpacked through Europe and I had different resources and different ways that life met me before I had to actually figure out, well, what do I want to do next? Mm -hmm. And what I chose to do was to stay in Europe and teach school there and let, you know, basically my old life, just, I just let it go. Yeah. But if I hadn't paused and camped my way through England, Scotland, and Wales that summer, there's no way I would have been brave enough to do that. No way. Uh, so it was the pausing, not staying and teaching in Michigan, going there and having a summer where you literally didn't know you were going to stay there and teach. That wasn't even on I the radar? No, uh, I had no idea. I okay. didn't even know I wanted to. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> you know? the slate was that clean. Like, like get, get me, me out, out of here. here. I don't know what's yeah. next. I I had a dream or a vision to go to England because I'd been studying English literature for most of my you know, adolescence and a young adult life. And I was going to go see where they lived and where mm -hmm. they wrote. And mm -hmm. that, so I was following that dream. And that dream actually was the pause that went, oh, life could be really different. Mm -hmm. And whenever I've come to those places where, oh, life could be really different. Like when I stopped teaching at all and went to massage school, Mm -hmm. Life could be really different, yeah. but what, how, how could it be really different? And if you don't pause, if I didn't pause, I would, I would create a big mess for myself. It's like digging a big hole or having to climb a huge mountain to get where you're going. Mm -hmm. If you, if I pause, life comes and meets me and the doors begin to open and I get shown away. And so that has just taught me the value of providing that place where people can just wait, just wait. Mm -hmm. If you wait, it will get easier. And, and that has probably been the hardest thing for me in the journey of you helping me is your constant invitation to not know and to wait. Because what I do, and I think a lot of other people probably do this too, is I go into my intellect trying to figure out what's next. And I try really hard and I, I go down a lot of different roads and I burn myself out and I get more frustrated because I can't figure out the answer. And yet what I've learned over the past 20 years is what you're speaking to is when I'm in one of those spots, I have to stop. But it's so magnetic and impulsive and reactive and natural and habitual, not natural, but habitual to not stop because there's a panic in the system. I got to figure out what's next. I got to know. I got to. And so uh -huh. I think that's one of the powers of what you're, the space you're holding is it's a forced pause with someone holding you there because doing it alone feels for me sometimes, and I'm getting better and better, but it's, it feels almost impossible. It's crazy making. Yeah. Because not only does your mind spin, but our culture basically says, we'll do something. Exactly. Do anything. Just yeah. do it. And, and then everyone's like, like, what are you going to do next? Well, right. what do you, you know, and everybody wants to help you do something yes. instead of like, 
sweetie, let me slow down with you. Let's just talk about like, what could you do to get some space and breathing room and not think about it right now? Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to put you on a table and help you feel something different. I'm going to take you on a walk through the aspen trees so that you actually have a different experience. You really actually need to change the venue sometimes Mm -hmm. to get permission from your brain to even rest. Mm -hmm. And that resting and quieting and soothing and comfort, comfort and ease are not actually natural. (laughs) (laughs) They they, they weren't for me anyway. Mm -hmm. I had to learn that. Mm And when I learned it, I became really valuable. Mm-hmm. And now it's a matter of course for me, but it's also one of the really sweet things that I get to offer because most people don't know how to do that for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't think of a greater invitation, you know, to, to anyone in our culture to say, stop. You don't know what to do, stop. Get some support, get some allies to stop spinning your mind and open up your senses and your being to what else is possible. Because that's, I think, what you were speaking to with this woman who became, you know, a jeweler. And it's like, you can't know that from your mind. And what does it take to wait for life to show you what's next? Yes. Yes. And can you be patient enough if it doesn't happen in three days, if it doesn't happen in three weeks, if it doesn't happen even in three months? Mm -hmm. Can you be patient enough to keep coming back to the question, what? Mm -hmm. And get really curious about what life wants from you and what you want from life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it feels like it's so much about waiting for things to get revealed, but it's at the same time, letting it get revealed inside of our own hearts of what we want. Yes. And I know for myself, when I put myself in boxes, I get so identified with whatever that is in my box that it's very hard to know what I want if it's in opposition in any way. So, you know, starting a business that has erotic power in it while being a business consultant is insane to a part of me. And it made no sense. And I was terrified. And yet some part of me knows that it's necessary in the world. And I don't know how it's going to, I still don't, it's three years later. And I still don't know how I'm going to navigate that. But there's this, I think there's just this deeper trust, but it's hard to access if we don't know that our desire matters too. Yes. And if we don't have our desire manifest and reinforced. That's the thing. Yeah, actually held by someone else who could actually say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. How are you going to do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) If that curiosity doesn't come forward to meet you, then it's a vacuum. Yeah. 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 When I think of people that I work with and when I think about my working with you, often what's needed is permission to trust what we feel. Yes. I think that's what my experience is of how you show up with people and how you definitely show up with me is that clarity comes when somebody says, oh, I see where you're coming from or I get what you're saying or I, I see you. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously interrupting 
looping patterns that are not who we are. And it takes skill to see that within ourselves. But I feel like that's what you offer to other people Mm -hmm. is like seeing where the storyline is going off the rails and taking Uh someone out of their body and out of their hearts. Right. And where it becomes like part of the wall of the box, you know, it's just like, Oh, this, it's always been that way. Therefore it has to stay that way. It's Mm -hmm. like, Oh no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. What if we climbed over that wall or Mm -hmm. what if we make a little door? What happens then? Right. Yeah. 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 So there's maybe this may be too much of a, like a formulaic question, but maybe you and I can take it somewhere because I think there's something in here, but I feel like there's, there's something around, are there steps that you could offer to people of how, what's the question really? It's how do we learn to trust life? How do we learn to trust the pause? I really think the only way is to experience it. Yeah. I am an experiential learner and mm-hmm. um, when I do my intake interview, which is over the phone, I ask a whole bunch of questions uh-huh. about, you know, in your life now, what does it look like? Mm-hmm. And what would you want to eat? What would, you, when do you want to get up? What kind of coffee do you want? What, what happens next? Oh. And yeah, and it really sets the tone for me to be able to see, oh, this is how they have it set up. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to interrupt that, what do I actually have to come up with to offer that makes them stop and go, oh, well, wait. Yeah. Um, so you usually have French press coffee. I'm actually going to offer you some espresso with foamed milk. Do you want to go there or you really want your French press? Uh huh. And just that, just that is the beginning of a little crack. Mm-hmm. And so it's really not so much that there's a formula, but it's that attunement, mm-hmm. that attunement that was, you know, meant to happen between ourselves and our parents very early in life mm-hmm. that gave us that ability to trust. And if we didn't get it then, or sometimes even if we did, but we don't have it now with ourselves, if we're not actually paying attention to our own selves and our own needs, to have someone else do it for you is interruptive and valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you're bringing that piece in around attachment because I feel that so much of what you're pointing to is how can we find safety within our own, within ourselves and how do we get, how do we get to connect with our needs? And if we're so lost and spun and can, you know, in the box, it sounds like what you offer is I'm going to take you out of the box and we're going to work with that in a conscious way to find out what's it like to have somebody here with you, maybe even noticing what you might want before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. And what is it like to actually have the experience of, well, right now, I just want to sit on the couch and stare out the window. Mm -hmm. And is that okay? Can I do that? Yeah. Will you let me? 
And uh-huh. you're over there being busy doing things. Shouldn't I be doing things too? Uh, it's like, yeah. well, no, no, no. If you want to stare out the window, be my guest. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's that place where the normal structure of what we keep around our life actually begins to melt away mm-hmm. because you have an observer. You have somebody <laughs> who's attuning yeah. to even how you're breathing whether or not you slept last night, you know, how much of your green beans did you eat? And if not, why? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's such an incubator. You know, the more you talk about it, it's It's like like, some people, myself included, will go on a silent meditation retreat to try to access and see my conditioning and, you know, touch myself and all of that. But this is a whole other level because basically you're saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put you back in your perceived structure of your life in certain ways. And then I'm going to intentionally interrupt them so that we can use that as material to work with safety and your own sense of where you're trying to control life to keep yourself safe. And what, how is that keeping you in your box? Right. But on so many levels from food to is it okay for me to stare out the window or do I, I should be helping, you know, whatever that conditioning uh-huh. might be. Right. That's right. powerful. My last retreat person came back from a hike and she said, is it okay if I take a bath? And it's like, if a bath is what you want, that would be great. And I said, do you want bubbles? Do you want this? Do you want that? And she was like, you're going to make my bath for me. And I was like, well, Yeah. I am actually. Oh my God. And she was just like her jaw came up off the floor. I was like, I don't even I I don't know what to do with that. Uh-huh. How many times said, do people run a bath for us? Right. Yeah. And ask, and, how would you like it? Go ahead. And yes, exactly. How would you like it? And mm-hmm. and actually listen to the no, I actually don't want bubbles. And I was like, really? You don't want bubbles? And she's like, no. And she had her reasons. And it's like, okay, no bubbles. How about this? How about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun to see your joy. Like, uh, you know, just talking about it right now. What do you notice happening? I I just get excited about the really, really just simple ways that I get to tend to someone else um, and how much that feeds me. Mm-hmm. so yeah yeah makes me really really happy yeah I can see it and I feel that when I'm around you there's such a generosity like you were describing that about Helen your mentor uh-huh. and that's so much yeah. of what you embody and so I I think the next question I want to ask you is and I know we're coming close to the end but could you speak to your experience of why the body is so important to be including in this whole journey? Oh, my. (laughs) Um, Well, what I really believe from both my experience and my education is that our bodies hold everything. They are the Alexandria Library. They have (laughs) noticed every experience every thought every feeling every every everything um and it's recorded somewhere in there and so if i don't attend to the body i'm missing an incredible opportunity to actually know someone at another whole level 
Mm -hmm. um, and to let them, in a sense, know me as well. Because to let that intimate dance happen to receive body work. Um, a fundamental aspect of trust has to be met. And, and when the body has information that challenges that safety, then my attunement is actually crucial. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not paying attention or if I'm not really there, then I'm going to miss something really important. And so are they. Yeah. And so the body offers all of these opportunities to rework um, memory or experience or uh, trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's all it's like the way that I've experienced it with you, which has been unique. And you know, obviously, you were the first person that I started seeing consistently for body work, even as an athlete. But you you would touch places in me that I didn't even know. Like I would feel a pain, and then you would ask me a question. And it seemed like somehow it was related to the pain. And then this whole thing would unravel. And before I knew it, I was in like subconscious material that I had been operating through that I didn't, I, we would have never gotten there if I sat down and you asked me some questions or I started talking to you because I, it was the body put linking things together through your attunement of touching me and then asking me questions. And I remember that blowing my mind and I was thinking, what is this? How does that work? But it kept consistently happening. Right. And that is something that actually people find pretty challenging when they first start working with me because the body actually doesn't tell stories usually that aren't true. And so when I find something and it doesn't respond to, oh, the invitation to relax or to let go, mm -hmm. then I know there's content. And when I actually ask about the content, I have no idea what is there. Mm -hmm. I really actually have to be very curious. It's like, well, what does it look like? What does it feel like? How big is it? Mm -hmm. um, what's it doing for you? You know, it's trying to help. So, but people are like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> I remember feeling that way. Like what's going on? It's voodoo. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually just like, how am I, how's my body supposed to tell me that? Right. And it's like, well, actually, if you just listen, I'm going to put my fingers there so you can feel what it feels like. You tell me what it feels like. Mm -hmm. I think it feels like a marble. Is it a marble to you? And it's like, well, no, actually, for me, it's a rock. It's like, okay, yeah, now you know, you have a rock. What? Yeah. What's that rock doing there? And, and then yeah. it sort of continues often to meaning, like to uh, story. To, uh, yeah. 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 If we ask that rock what it wants or what it needs or why it's there, what might it say to you? Mm -hmm. And they look at me like, are you cracked? <laughs> exactly. And, and I'm like, just listen, just see, mm -hmm. take a breath and just let my fingers hold it. Mm -hmm. And then really frequently, almost like magic, people are like, oh my goodness, what I'm thinking about is, and then some whole thing unfolds. Yeah. And for some people who are particularly mentally focused, it takes a while. You know, and I had a principal of a middle school who is totally left brain and, you know, very much in a box come to me recently because she was in burnout 
Uh And it's like, okay, I can understand why you're in burnout and let's work with what's in your body. And for the first three or four months, she was like, I have no idea where you're going with this. Mm -hmm. Makes no sense to me. Can't hear a thing. And now a year and a half later, her entire life is completely and utterly different. And she's listening to her body on a daily basis and Mm -hmm. using the information that her body gives her Mm -hmm. simply because she had somebody stop her long enough to listen. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh my goodness, could you teach that to my sister? It's Uh like, "Uh, if your sister would get on my table, I could. She said, I'm not sure she will. I was like, of course not, because she's been watching. Your whole life's just changed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why would she do that? (laughs) Not if she wants to keep things the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that willingness to change Mm -hmm. that the body really facilitates. Mm -hmm. Gosh, thanks for adding to that. Because that, maybe that's the final question is just for those people like myself who was in the beginning not clear about what you were asking or the body intelligence, is there anything else you would want to say about why it's, why it's so important to pause and why it's so important to access the body in terms of breaking through boxes? It, well, it has to do with actually the relationship one is willing to have with oneself. Yeah. And if you really want that, if you want an experience of what we've begun to call wholeness or authenticity or real life with yourself, it is really that relationship with yourself that changes everything else. And it's coming into that relationship in a new way that the pause and body work and all kinds of alternative ways of looking and being with oneself happen. Mm-hmm. And this is just one avenue. Um, there are many, many avenues to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a beautiful message because I think that ultimately until we're in enough pain or there's a life experience that devastates us or something spontaneously just encourages us to turn Mm -hmm. towards ourselves. We live in a world that asks us to look for who we are outside of ourselves, which causes so much suffering and so much addiction and so much pain. And so I love your message. It's so beautiful to pearl together, pausing, honoring oneself enough to actually get support have someone hold you even when you don't know what the f is going on it's like be willing to say i don't know but i know there's got to be another way and even if there isn't this is not enough for me now and to to reach for guidance from another being who has walked the journey and that's that's what i love about your medicine is everything you teach is everything you have been doing for so long right And I think that's the beauty of how organically it has arisen for me. Yeah. This isn't just something I got a business model for and decided I would do. No. It it has grown, yeah, over Mm -hmm. years and years and years of attempting to have that relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like... And oftentimes it's true. It takes life walloping you. Yes. And you, you losing your faith in life 
to turn to somebody else for, would you show me the way? Exactly. I, I can't do this. That was me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So people I'm going to have in the show notes where people can find you the boulder guided retreats.com. And maybe just before we wrap up these retreats, people can do uh, any length of time or how does that pretty much it's uh, my ideal is three days, Mm -hmm. um, which gives us enough time to cover a lot of territory and I can still breathe at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, I have done six hours. I've done eight hours. I've done one day, two days. Mm-hmm. I've done five days. It really depends on the magnitude of how big you want the change to be, how big of a pause you can actually let yourself take. Um, it depends on so many things. And mm-hmm. I really actually attempt to tailor it to, well, what do you think you need? And then what do I think I want to offer? Uh-huh. So you do a combination, like your own I, I intuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. So that once I hear what they're actually working with, it's easier for me to say, well, I don't think we'll get there in 10 hours. Mm-hmm. Or I don't get, think we'll get there in an overnight. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, yeah, that's actually, you're, you have enough awareness and you have been on the journey long enough. Let's just do you know, 10 hours or whatever, eight hours. Yeah. That's just okay. a day. Yeah. So you start that attunement from the very beginning when you meet with someone, you find out what it is they, they want and what they think they want and then what you sense they need and you kind of put it all together into an invitation. Right, exactly. Yeah. And okay. oftentimes that process has started long before I've actually got them on the telephone because somebody mm-hmm. I know has sent them or Mm -hmm. some of them have been my former students who I haven't seen in 10 years or, you know, former clients who already have a taste of for who I am and how I work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that this podcast gives that a little glimpse of that. So it's, it's already begun in a sense. Right. Wonderful. Which I love. Me too. Mm. Thank you so and, much. Yeah, so wonderful to be with you and to be able to talk about what you're doing in the world and celebrate it. So thanks yes, for being thank here you. today. Yeah. And were you just going to ask me something? Uh, if there was anything final that you felt you might want the world to know about you or the retreats that I didn't ask. No, I don't think so. I think we covered it really well. And yeah, it's very clear from my website and whatnot where. Yeah. Which is... Oh. In Boulder, Colorado. Here in Mountains. Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but it's good to say that here. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Dora. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you want more, you can subscribe to this channel. This will automatically queue up the next episode for your listening. If you have a burning question or topic you want to learn more about, please send an email to Ask Anne Marie. The direct link is located in the show notes. And please leave a review. This keeps me inspired and focused to bring you more. If you want to learn more about my work as a power reclamation guide, leadership coach, and organizational culture consultant, you can visit my websites in the notes. Thank you again for joining today.